In the beginning, God separated the sky from the ground, creating land. He then said, let the land sprout with the vegetation, and God saw that it was good. Since this time, God has revealed himself to all of creation on this land. As man walks, plows, and harvests the fields of the earth, a promise between God and man is established. God came down from heaven and announced his presence to mankind, redeemed his creation, and it all started in a field. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome all of our campuses, our online campus, Appleton Campus, Germantown Campus? You can welcome everybody. Yeah. Wherever you are joining us today, we're glad that you are. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and um, we're continuing in this series called The Field. And this has been a series I've been wanting to preach um, uh, for, for quite some time. It's been several months I've been working on this. And hopefully you'll be back with us next weekend as I'm going to conclude this series and kind of wrap this up. There's just some cool things that, you know, you read the Bible and you study the Bible and, and uh, all of that. And then there's times where you read a passage or you see something that you've never seen before. It's not that it wasn't there. It's just you just discovered it. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's a theological term called revelation. It, it's where the Holy Spirit reveals something to you. It's not that it didn't exist before. Um, my grandmother used to say, if it's new, it's not true. And I, I think that's true, uh, that, that there's nothing new under the sun, Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes. But there are times, though, when all of a sudden you're reading through a passage that you've read before, that you've studied before, and in, and in my profession, that maybe you've even preached before, and all of a sudden you kind of have this new insight, or this like, wow, I, I never connected these dots before. That's what this series is, is, is really all about. And so last weekend, Pastor Steve talked about this field where Boaz, this landowner, uh, meets Ruth, uh, this Moabite woman who comes in uh, with her, with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who both Naomi and Ruth are widowed, and they, they come from Moab quite a distance away to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, and there they glean from the corner of the fields. Part of the reason what drew them there is uh, because of the vegetation, the agricultural uh, piece and component that was there in Bethlehem. It's also part of Jewish tradition and history that they would allow that part of the Levitical law, the law of the Old Testament, that the Jews practiced is that the corners of the fields were left for those who were poor. And anything that they did not receive during the, the grain that fell to the ground, the, the God said that they had to leave it on the ground so that the widows and the orphans and the poor could come in and could glean what was left over from the fields. Uh, it was a way of showing generosity. It was a way of showing blessing. It was a way of giving back to those that didn't have an ability to, to maybe get that. And so Boaz meets Ruth there as she's gleaning the fields with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and he inquires of the story. And Steve told you that last week in a powerful, powerful, powerful story. And so there's and something that happens in that field. It, it shows us this redemption 
Uh, the uh, theologians call Boaz the kinsman redeemer. He's the one that redeems the people. And, and in doing so, it's all part of this tapestry that's all throughout Scripture. Today, I'm going to connect you to another part of the story that's not necessarily directly connected, but you're going to see the connection as, as we unfold it. And it happens in another field in Bethlehem uh, with the house of Jesse. Uh, with his son named David. And so you may have heard this story before or read this passage before, but I would encourage you, open your Bible, mark in your Bible. Some people go, oh, I can't believe that. It's just like anything else. It's like a textbook. It's something that you learn from, that you grow from, that you, that you it's not about sacrilege or about defacing anything. It's about the, the words on that page are only valuable if they get in your heart. It's what the Bible says. God, your words have I hid in your words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not that I have the words of God contained in a book on a shelf. That won't keep me from sinning. It's only if those words get into my heart. So whatever allows for that transmission of the words that are on the page in front of you to get into your heart, do that. Digest it. Eat it. Feast upon it. Ever how you have to. Highlight it, underscore it, memorize it, whatever you need to do. But 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It said, now the Lord said to Samuel, so Samuel's the, the, the priest, he's the prophet of God. He's basically the voice piece of God to the nation of Israel. You have mourned long enough for Saul, the first king of Israel, and I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. That's important. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul, the king, hears about it, he's going to kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord said, and say that I have come, that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. This would have been a common practice. Verse 3, so invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show, show you which of his sons to anoint for me. I'm going to get back to that word anointing in just a second. Verse 4, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. Why? Because he's, this is, he represents God, so why are you here? Is something the matter? They said, what's wrong? Did you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. That's why he brought the heifer with him. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So basically, let's all go have church together, okay? That's really kind of what's going on. And then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice too. And when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height. I rejected him. The Lord, well, that's God. The Lord doesn't see things the way, the way you see them. People judge by an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and to walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one that the Lord has chosen. Verse 9, next Jesse summons Shema. But Samuel said, neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. Verse 10, and in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Look at verse 11. He asked, are, all, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the field, watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Samuel, or excuse me, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome, much like myself, with beautiful eyes. 
And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of oil, which he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. I love how the message transliteration says, verse 13, and the spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. Now, here's what, what we see kind of happening here is this, is this thing called calling. It's, it's, it's where God calls humanity. God calls man. God calls you. God calls me to a purpose. And, 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 but with that calling, we, we, we see that God through Samuel now has called David to be king of Israel. So it's God that chooses, not man. Uh, and, and it's, but, but God always speaks. And in this particular way, in the Old Testament, God would speak to a person. We know that, that the high priest now is not Samuel, but the high priest is Jesus. That's what the book of Hebrews says. So that he's our high priest. So that God can speak directly to us through Jesus Christ, through the person of the Holy Spirit. So when you're called, just like if your phone were to ring, if you're called, you have a choice whether or not to respond to the call. If you're summoned, you have a choice whether or not to appear before whoever is summoning you. In the same way, God is calling David. David has a choice whether he's going to leave the field and be anointed or not. He doesn't understand what's going on, but he simply knows this is what's asked of him, and so he simply goes. But he has a choice. The same is true of calling. God calls all of us. There's a unique calling and gifting for every single one of us. And, and according to, to, to what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, we're either called to the marketplace vocationally or we're called to ministry vocationally. But all of us are called into ministry. All of us have a calling upon our lives. But there's a word that's used in the Old Testament that's not used in the New Testament that sometimes seems very spiritual. And I want to kind of demystify it, but I don't want to take away all the mystery of it because there, there's a power behind it. And it's the word anointing. The Bible says that, that, that God spoke to Samuel and said to Samuel, I want you to take your flask of oil, and, you're going, and, and, and it was an anointing oil. So the priest would have this anointing oil. Now, it's very under, it's, if you do a study on this, it's, the word anointing is never used in the New Testament. The Greek doesn't use the same word. And there's not even a, 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 an opposite because the Old Testament is written in, the, in Hebrew. So there's not even a counter word for it. It's not like... Uh, salt and salt. It's, it's two different things. And so, but yet the Old Testament uses the word anointing. The New Testament uses the word called gifting. But both of these are represented by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is oil. That's the reason why when the Bible says in the book of James, if there's any sick among you, call the elders of the church together, anoint the sick with oil. That's the only place it says that. And pray, and pray the prayer of faith, and they'll be made whole. Because oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when, they would, when, when, when Moses uh, uh, pronounced Aaron to be the first high priest of Israel, they took the flask of oil, and they poured it from the top of his head. And the Bible says that, it, it, that the oil went from the top, the crown of his head all the way to his feet. There was an anointing. That there, there's this, there was a spiritual ritualistic process of anointing someone. That's what... Um, Samuel is doing here with David. He's anointing him. So the counterbalance of that word of anointing in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, would be a word called gifting. So 
here's and, I, and I, this is important to understand this because both of these exist through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 says that the Holy Spirit is the one that gifts us. That through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ comes into, into our heart and the work of God is sealed in our hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit. And there are the giftings of the Holy Spirit. We also understand that subsequent to salvation, there can be a baptism of the Holy Spirit where there's additional giftings that are to those that, 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 that believe, that those that are Christ followers. These, these giftings become the, the empowerment. They become the anointing. They become the gifts by which you and I fulfill the calling that God has. I hope that makes sense. Because I'm, I'm living on a couple of uh, double espressos right now because my body clock says that's completely a different time. And so the reality I want you to catch is, is, is simply this. We are all called to a purpose. And we are anointed and gifted to fulfill that calling. We are all called, every one of us are called. God has a call for your life. He has a purpose and a reason for your life. And then God also anoints you or he gifts you with that purpose. So what's happening here is we see David is being called of God through Samuel. David's being called of God through Samuel to be the, to, to be the king of Israel. Not to be a priest, not to be a man of cloth. He's not of the tribe of Levi. He is called to be the next king of Israel. But with that calling, there has to be an anointing. There has to be a New Testament word. We use the word gifting. There has to be that which accompanies. And that's what the anointing oil was all about. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the powerful thing to get about this is that you and I don't have to be anointed by a person because the Holy Spirit, when he comes in to our hearts and our lives through Jesus Christ, the work of God is sealed in us. Therefore, the anointing of God has already taken place in your life if you're in Jesus. That's powerful. That's way more powerful than you're, than you're shouting right now. I'm, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting. Because the reality is, is that there, there, there's this thing that's happening. And so David is being called to a purpose to be the king of Israel. The man of God who represents God himself anoints him to that calling. So let's look at this. How does this calling work? And, and I'm saying spend some time on this because I want you to catch something with this. Is that I think a lot of times in church, we know we're Christians and we live for Jesus, but we don't really understand that God has called us. God didn't just call me. God called you. He called all of us. And he called you whether you're working in a factory, whether you work in an office cubicle, whether you drive a bus, whether you're a, a, a professional, whether you own a business, whether you work for a company, whether you're stay at home. He has called us. He has gifted. And the giftings and the callings of God, the Bible says, are without repentance, which means they never lift. It, look, if God wanted all, if, if, if the high, and, and this is the other thing too, if the hierarchy of calling and gifting was, okay, you're a pastor, a minister, a missionary, and then there's everybody else, then, then it would be like, well, I have something special that you don't have. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was only revealed, God only revealed himself personally to special people, like David. Only special people were anointed. Just do a word search on the word anointing in the Old Testament. Very few times has this happened. Very few times has the Holy Spirit actually anoint some, someone. Very few times has God actually interact with creation. But when Jesus Christ comes to earth, 
And he lives and he gives his life on the cross. And the Bible says that the veil that separated man from God is torn from the top to the bottom, which means it was a God-ordained thing. Because if man would have ripped the veil, he would have ripped it from the bottom to the top. But because God rips it, it goes from the top all the way to the bottom. And the Bible says now we can boldly go to the throne of grace. We can boldly enter the Holy of Holies. That we have this relationship. And that relationship is made possible through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all of us are not just called, but we are anointed and are gifted to do what God's called us to do. That's more than double espresso. That's really good because it means that God has a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. That means your children, there's a plan and there's a purpose for them, that, that, that God has called them, that they're fearfully and wonderfully made, and they're, they're not just there to, 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 to be our kids, but that God has a plan and that you and I get to be a part of all of that. That's the amazing part of the story. And the fact is that there's six plus billion people on the planet and God knows the number of, ha of the hairs of every head on the planet. Just stop and think about how intricately God knows you and me. And this is what happens is, is that sometimes we just kind of go through this, go, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. The pastor's called, but not me. No, you're called. But I wait a table. You're called. But man, you don't understand, I'm not educated. You're called. Man, you don't understand, I don't come from a spiritual background or pedigree. You're called. It doesn't matter whether you hitched a ride to church or you pulled up in, 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 in a $250,000 Lotus. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter where you're from. There's a calling and a gifting that God has. And what we see is that God says, I don't look on the outer appearance. I don't look on the pedigree. I don't look on the status. I don't look on the bank account. I don't look at people the way everybody else says. I look in the heart. And so what's there? That's the reason why the Bible says in the book of Psalms, guard your heart above all things. Guard your heart because out of your heart flows the issues of life. So how does this calling thing happen? Let's give you a couple of observations and I'll be done. One, David was completely overlooked in the field. I want you to notice this. He's in this field. He's completely overlooked in the field. Because most things that happen in a field, we overlook them. If you drive through farmland, especially if you go through Kansas, you just kind of go, okay, there's just acre, a mile, a mile, a mile after just, it's, there's nothing, it's just fields. You go through, you know, western Kansas, and you go through Colorado, and you just, there's just nothing. Uh, you're on your way to the Badlands, you're going through South Dakota, there's just, it's just, there's, it's just fields. We dismiss them. We dismiss people that work in fields. And not untrue today, as it would have been in the in, 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 this, in, this, in this day and time that David, the, the person that was watching the field, they were in the, in the fields watching the sheep, and the, they were the lowest of the people. They were the undocumented immigrant. They were the one that was uninsured, that was overlooked, and that was just kind of marginalized and was there for everybody else's benefit, but not for their own. That's what David was doing. God makes a point to not look on Abinadab, who's the tallest, but to go find the one who smells like manure because he's been dealing with the sheep, who's dirty, who's marginalized, who's the youngest of which, and says, That's him. That's him. That's the next king of Israel. 
Who was the first king of Israel? Saul. Saul came from the right family. Saul had the right background. Saul would have been a Heisman Trophy winner. Saul would have been six foot four, about 220 pounds. He would have been lean. He was tall. He was good looking. He had a commanding voice. When he walked into the room, he was very presidential. They tried there, been there, didn't they? Done that. God said, quit looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. They bring David in. David isn't even invited by his own father to be a possibility to be a candidate to be chosen as the king of Israel. Some theologians say that David was an offspring of a concubine. That it was an extramarital affair that Jesse had had and this was one of his sons. He wasn't one of the choice ones that carried the last name. You see, just because you seem invisible doesn't mean you're invaluable. And many times we think, man, i got to be at the right place at the right time to get the right job. That doesn't hold any theological water. David was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He had everything stacked against him, yet God knew exactly where he was. And you may be a 13-year-old kid sitting here and there's something that God's put in your heart and in your life to do something great. And you don't know how, you don't know where, you don't know why, but there's something that resonates in your heart. That's called calling. That's called gifting. Every time growing up as a kid, every time a minister or a missionary would preach and they would begin to talk about this subject, something would pulse through me. I, 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 something would just go through me to go, man, that's it. I, it's not that I, 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 I didn't come from uh, this, this family or that family. I, I don't have this or that. I don't feel like I measure up. But there's something that, that's inside of me that I'm created to do something that's more than just get up and go to school and get a job and work in this same town. That, that, there, there's something more. That feeling, if you have that of something more, that's the calling of God. That's the whisper of the Holy Spirit calling you, pulling you, and he's taking you. And you may go, but man, I'm in a field. I'm overlooked. I'm marginalized. I'm, I'm undocumented. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just on the outskirts of everything. And God says, no, I see you. I see what I've called you to be and what I've created you to be. Because God does things in the field that he can't do in the palace. God does things in the field that he can't do in the classroom. God does things in the field that he can't do anywhere else. David was completely overlooked in the field. But I want you to notice is David was prepared in the field. The preparation to get him where God wanted him happened in the field. How are you so certain of that? Because as soon as he's anointed king of Israel, where does he go? Back to the field. Now you think about that just for a second. I'm just going to tell you, this is me, man. And I just beat out my seven older brothers that were taller, better looking than me. And, and if the theologian's conjecture is right, I was the bastard child of the, of the group. And I got selected. Holla! I'm just saying, don't hate me because you ain't me. I would be the cockiest little guy around, man. I'd be like, what's up? Losers. I mean, totally. That's right, I'm going to be the king. 
You can bow now or later, but it's going to happen. Right? He goes back to the field. Scholarship tells us it'll be four years later before he will have that infamous encounter with Goliath. It'll be 15 years after he's anointed king before he will take the throne. So what happens in that time? That's where the maturity happens. That's where the growth happens. That's where the proving happens. Listen to me, 20-something. God's got things in your heart, and you want to do great things in business, and you feel like, man, you've got a great edge, and this is going on, or God's called you into ministry, and this is what's happening, and you've had this God encounter, and you've had this God moment, and you've had all of this kind of a deal, but all of a sudden, you're back in the classroom. All of a sudden, you're back at the end. All of a sudden, you're back in the field. All of a sudden, you're, 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 you're back in the company. All of a sudden, you're just kind of there, and, 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 and what if you're not careful, what you'll try to do is you'll try in your own ability to kind of scrape and to push and to, and to make, your, make your way. But remember, you got called, not because you were at the right place at the right time. You got called because God knew where you were. You got called because God had done something in your heart. So allow him to continue to work and develop that in your heart and enjoy slow development. Don't get caught up in the trap of being 20 under 20 or the best 30 under 30 or the best 40 under 40. Quit, shut out the critics. Shut out what, what, what the news, don't, don't believe the news clippings. Don't believe the, 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 the newsreel. Don't, don't, don't look at, 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 don't, you know, everybody else puts up their Twitter feed of the best things that are happening. Nobody says, hey, I'm having a lousy day. I just got a speeding ticket. Let me click this. No. I just got a new car. I just went here. I just went there. We, we, it, it's a highlight reel. Shut all of that out. Because what's happening is, is that when God anoints you, when God calls you, typically he doesn't call you for that moment. He calls you today for tomorrow. And there's a time of process and there's a time of development and there's a time of, of this gestation that takes place and, and, and for God to be able to grow and to develop. And if you don't allow God to grow and to develop, you'll never be able to conquer and do what he's called you to do. How are you so certain? Because the Bible says that it was in the field that David with his own bare hands, took down the lion it, that were coming against the sheep. It was, it was in the field that David, with his own bare hands, took down the bear that was coming against the sheep. And so when Goliath, the uncircumcised Philistine, who's blaspheming the name of the God whom had already anointed him king of Israel, begins to profusely, profanely speak against his God, he had no problem taking him on because he had already proven himself with the lion and with the bear when no one else was looking. The problem is we live in a day and age in a world where we want to take on Goliath, but we've not defeated the lion and we've not defeated the bear. The problem is we, wanted to be, we, we, we want to be anointed king or CEO or CFO or COO, or we want to be minister or reverend or doctrine. We want to have all this, but there's no time of maturity. There's no time of growth. And so what happens is our talent takes us where our character cannot keep us and we fall. And we wonder why, because there's a time of character development. There's a time of growth, that time in the field. Don't forget the time in the field. 
I learned how to pray, not in seminary, but because I had a youth leader named Randy Craig, who was a carpenter, who owned a cabinet shop, who would pick me up with a group of high school boys every single morning. And from six to seven o'clock, he would teach us how to pray. And we met at the church and we prayed when I was in high school. And to be honest with you, there's been many times in my adult ministerial life, credentialed and, 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 and decorated, that my prayer life as a 17-year-old put my prayer life as a minister to shame. You know why? Because that's the field. That's the growth. That's the deal. It, it don't, 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 don't ever, ever make light of that or just push back on that. It goes back to that and back to that and back to that. David was prepared in the field. That's where God prepares us. And the last observation is that David was anointed in the field. David was anointed in the field. He wasn't at the right place at the right time. But David was called because of his heart, not because of his appearance. So often we try to get God's attention. So often we try to stand out. So often we try to stand out from other people. So often we try to put ourselves ahead of other people. We don't need to audition for God to get the part he wants us to play. He created you to play that part. He chose you, Jeremiah says, before you were ever born. All you need to do and all I need to do and all David had to do was allow the situations of life to develop the character in us to do what God wants to do in and through our lives. It all goes back to this field. It all goes back to this field. Last weekend when Steve was talking, talking about this field of redemption, it's this beautiful love story between Ruth, this Moabite, and Boaz. And their story takes place in a field. It, it takes place in a field actually in Bethlehem. Actually, the field where Boaz meets Ruth and she's gleaning as a widow from the scraps and the leftover of his farm is the same field that David is working when he's called and anointed king of Israel. Because Boaz is David's great-grandfather. And Ruth is David's great-grandmother. It's the same field, folks. It's the same city. It's the same place. God knew in his infinite wisdom when he brought that young Moabite woman from the mountains of Moab all the way across the plain, right there to the valleys of Judea and to this, into this city of Bethlehem and this field. He knew the love story that he was working. He knew the king that he was going to make from them. He knew it would be in that exact field that Boaz would see Ruth and that that love story would take place. He knew it would be in that same field that David would be walking the sheep and he would be working in, in the fields and he would be called by the man of God, Samuel. God would tap Samuel on the heart and say, now it's time to go anoint. And it was from that exact same field that he is taken and he's anointed king of Israel. Something else of great significance occurs in that very field, geographically speaking. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. God, that is so powerful in our lives. That's so real and alive in us. I thank you, God, that you indeed call us.
We're not called by ambition. We're not called by makeup. We're not called by fate. We're not called by parents. We're called by you, God. And not just are we called, but we are gifted. You've given us everything that we need naturally and innately inside of us in the way that you've created us in order for us to be what you've called us to be. You've anointed us. You've gifted us. So I just pray. Father, whatever field that we are working in, whatever field we are laboring in, whether we feel marginalized and forgotten, or whether we, Lord, sense the anointing and the calling and the gifting on our life, help us to be faithful to that field. If that field is Germantown, help us to be faithful to that field. If that field is in another country, in a land far away, help us to be faithful in that field. If that field is to the marketplace, help us to be faithful to that field. If that field is to local church ministry, help us to be faithful to that field. If that field is raising godly children, help us to be faithful to that field. Whatever that field may be, it is there that you've called us. It is there that you've placed us. It's there that you've anointed us. And it's there that you will use us. Because it's in the field. It's in the field that you do your work. It's in the field that you develop us. It's in the field that the greatest story ever told takes place. Thank you, Lord, that your giftings and that your callings are without repentance. Thank you, God, that it's not dependent upon us, but it's because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.